Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles, California. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Washington, D.C., Ben Olson. Ben, how's it going out there? It's going good. A lot of exciting things happening in this town, as always. Yeah, yeah. Any uh, major protests or anything like that in your neck of the woods? Uh, yeah, actually, it's funny you say that. There was some protesters uh, on the way in that I, I, I drive in, and there were some people. I, I don't know what they were yelling. I just had to get going and make the light. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I'm sure they were probably protesting something about uh, Gorsuch, right? The uh, nominee that Trump just yeah. put forward for the Supreme Court. So when he's doing so many crazy things all at once, there's just you don't even know what they're protesting about. It's just right. protesting yeah. Trump generally, right? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you here? Well, they all have different reasons. So you can find enough reasons to get a lot of people there. I got completely screwed the other night at LAX coming back from uh, San Francisco. Uh, landed, plane landed, everything's on time. Get out and call a lift to come pick me up. And the driver calls me and says, yeah, uh, they're estimating that it's going to take 45 minutes for me to get in to, to pick you up. Oh, wow. Okay. Because they were protesting the, uh, you know, the ban, mm-hmm. Muslim ban. So I had no way to get home from the airport. So I proceeded to walk, which everyone was doing, walking in and out of LAX. I walked about uh, a mile probably. I did, luckily, I just had my backpack with me, so it was no problem. But I, huh. <laughs> the cars coming into LAX like to get dropped off or to, for people to get dropped off for their flights or even to make it to short-term parking or anything, it was just a complete parking lot, like six lanes of traffic, just all 100% cars just stopped. And then people getting out and walking and people coming the other way walking. So it was just like pedestrians walking right in the middle of six lanes of, of oncoming traffic uh, in and out of LAX. That's pretty and funny. I, oh man, I felt so bad for these poor people because they're just sitting there in their car. They're like, I, as I walk, you know, I walk uh, like about a mile out and there's still cars just sitting there stopped, just waiting. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, some people are leaning out like, hey, can you tell us what's going on up there? And I'm just like, yeah, it's a parking lot the entire way up there and you're going nowhere. You know, (laughs) like you're you I feel so bad because you should just be turning around or you should be, you know, if you got somebody who's got a flight, you're getting out and walking because you're not making it. There's no way you're ever getting in there. So was it crowded because all the protesters are coming or was part of the protest? Let's go and just block the roads. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they stopped traffic. I don't. I didn't see it anywhere, but they, I'm pretty sure they stopped traffic at some point somewhere. I don't know if they made like a human chain or whatever, but they uh, they made a big splash. Of course, my you know is is it naive? Maybe it's not naive. It's something else. It's a uh, it's self involved. But I'm like, all I could think was like, hey, you know, I agree with you. This whole plan, this sucks. The the band sucks. Mm-hmm. But uh, like I'm on your team, and now I'm getting screwed, getting off my flight. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I get it. I get it. I mean, they're making a statement. It's a big deal. They should be making a statement. But you know, I already was convinced, so they didn't need to. <laughs> they didn't need to convince me. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't think uh, Trump listens very well. To these things, so I, I'm, I'm doubtful that they will have much of an impact. Well, yeah, they're not delaying Trump's flight. Nope, they're delaying my flight. 
I don't know. I don't know how this thing works. Don't send, don't send me any hate mail, please. I'm on your team. I'm on your team. <laughs> Today on the show, we have an interview that I recorded with my former student, Ken, who took the December 2016 LSAT, and we I wanted to give that to you right before the February 2017 LSAT, because it has a little bit of an update on testing conditions, at least one you know testing center. So uh, that interview, we will uh, splice that in at the very end of the show. We have emails from a variety of different uh, listeners. We have one about whether or not to postpone the February test. We have an email that I thought was pretty naive in a, in a couple different ways. Um, just wanted to kind of point out all the different levels that people are at on this test. We have an email from a pharmacist without a bachelor's degree. I thought that was kind of weird. Um, we can talk about that. I don't know, Ben, if you know anything about that, but we can talk about it. Okay. Uh, you, Ben, came up with, you have a, a story from the Atlantic that you want to talk about. Yes. Uh, a for-profit law school that went down. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we got a lot on our plate today. Let's start with this Atlantic story. I want to hear about it. Sure. So... One of our listeners and one of my students sent this to us. I don't know if she wants me to say her name on the air, so I won't. But uh, this article was in The Atlantic. It's entitled The For-Profit Law School That Crumbled. It's by Oliver Bateman. It just uh, came out a couple days ago, maybe last week. It goes through the the challenges that uh, for-profit law schools and just law schools in general are facing. It says a lot of the things that we've already said. But one thing that I thought was interesting was there was this story in here about one of the for-profit law schools. I think it's the uh, Florida Coastal School of Law. They were looking for a dean, and one of the applicants, who was a finalist, was called to the school and asked to present and say what he would do for the law school. And in his time that he had to present, he explained to them with lots of data that they were letting profits, basically, not surprisingly, uh, get in the way of their admission process and that they had severely lowered the standards for those who were coming into the school, even from just three or four years earlier. And he was telling them this not to be antagonistic, but to say, hey, look, as a dean, if I were to become your dean of this law school, I would recognize this as a serious problem and we need to turn this around and we need to change it. But I guess halfway through his presentation, uh, whoever was in charge of this um, meeting told him to stop talking and to leave. Nice. So <laughs> he left. And because of that, not surprisingly, it was sort of picked up by various bloggers and a lot of things were said and he ended up writing a blog post about the experience. And as someone who clearly thinks that for-profit law schools and some other low-tier law schools can provide a, a legitimate education, it was interesting to read his blog post and to hear his concerns. And the one thing that I wanted to share with everyone from his blog post was this one section in which he talked about different LSAT score ranges 
and his assessment of how likely it is that individuals in those score ranges will pass the bar. So basically, you know, for a, for a long time, he's talking about how the LSAT and GPA are not perfect predictors. Of course, you can always have outliers, but in general, together, they do a pretty good job. And then he starts going through these numbers. So for example, he says that uh, if you have a 156 or higher, he would classify that as a high aptitude applicant, and ha- that person would have a minimal risk for not passing the bar, right? Very low risk. Now, Wow. Yeah. I mean, it probably depends on the state too, right? It depends how yeah. difficult the bar is. I would In California, that, that number makes me a little bit scared just because the California bar passage rate is so, so low. But anyway, yeah, I, I, I get the point. So he's saying over 156, you're okay. Yeah, uh, minimal okay. risk. I mean, yeah. everyone has risk, right? But Yeah, right, yeah. Okay, so then he said 153 to 155, that would be, quote, solid aptitude, low risk. 150 to 152, reasonable aptitude, modest risk. 147 to 149, modest aptitude, high risk. 145 to 146, marginal aptitude, very high risk. 144 and below, poor aptitude, extreme risk. I mean, basically anything below a 147 is a high risk to extreme risk, and even 150 to 152 is a modest risk. And this is based on, I mean, he's been in this field for some time, and I guess he's both been a professor as well as an administrator, and he's taken a lot of time to look at the data for people who take the bar, their LSAT scores, uh, where they're taking it, and so forth. And, you know, I would say these numbers are lower than I would advise anyone, but I think what's interesting is this is a person who has some faith in these low-tier law schools, and he's still saying anyone below a 147 is a high risk to extreme risk, which sounds to me like this is not a good bet at all, right? And especially if you're paying any money at all. Yeah. And he's not even factoring in employability. He's only factoring in just bar passage. This is just about passing the bar. Yeah. Because, you know, if you have your 152 and you, you know, maybe he would say, okay, you're a decent bet to pass the bar. Mm -hmm. You pass the, you know, but you go to some low ranked law school and you then pass the bar but so what i mean now you have to also get a job yeah yeah he's not he's not even taking into account the you know the other giant risk here but yeah okay that's uh i mean that's not far off of what we've been talking about right i i tell my students all the time you know i they always ask well what's the number you know what where's the number where you think it's okay you know where what where do you think you know you should go or not go and I always say 160, maybe 155, but what I really want to say is 160 mm-hmm. is the number where if you're below that, I'm I'm worried about potentially your bar chances, but also I'm worried about your employability because it's just sure. such a it's just such a competitive game, you know. You, yeah. you gotta you gotta compete for grades in law school, and then you gotta past the bar and you got to figure out how to get a job and all that is all that is tough and if your competitors have higher LSAT scores than you do 
I don't know, you're just starting off with a bit of a disadvantage. I have to, again, make the disclaimer here that I'm not talking about your starting score, and I'm not talking about your score right now today, because people improve a lot on the LSAT. 10 points, 15 points, 20 points. I mean, we see those kinds of improvements all the time. Yeah. So if you're looking at a 148 right now, that doesn't mean anything. You know, you can turn a 148 into a 163 pretty easily. Mm-hmm. But if you have prepped and prepped and prepped and, you know, you've done 30 practice tests and you've worked on it for two months or three months and now you're looking at a 140 something. Yeah. I, at that point, you might might want to rethink it. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That That's all I have to say about that, really. Just those numbers. Uh, interesting story. I would read the whole article if, if you if if any of you out there have time, just search uh, the Atlantic. It's. It's a good um, expose on everything that's going on, everything that's going wrong with yeah. a lot of lower tier law schools yeah. and and the pressures that higher tier law schools are, are facing, uh, which is why some of their LSAT scores are, are dropping, which can be good news for some people trying to get into a, a higher tier law school. I mean, they're not dropping as much, obviously, as these lower tier schools, but they're still facing the same pressures, which is simply... You have fewer applicants, so you either have to shrink your class size or drop your standards. Yeah, really. I mean, if you're if you're sitting here thinking you're going to go to law school, you you need to read that. That's like it's like irresponsible of you if you don't read that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What, yeah. Are, what are you doing? You you ought to read that. I mean, I should also just re-pitch that Paul Campos book. Don't go to law school unless it's not really so much about bar passage. It's a lot more about employability but you know you need to read all of the arguments against law school before you decide to go the law schools by the way are not going to give you any of those arguments right if you're in there talking to the admissions staff about you know asking them for their opinion their job requires them to just pump you full of all the good reasons why you should go to law school and and sure there are good reasons for the right type of person but you got to get the other side of the story too. Yeah. If you get the other side of the story and you still think, hey, this is what I want to do, then great, go for it. But just know what it is. Yeah, that's what I always say to my students. You know, if I can't talk you out of it, then I'll do everything I can to help you get in and, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully get a scholarship or whatever. Yeah. But I have to try to talk you out of it first. Because you you need to go into this with your eyes open. And I did not when I went to law school. I had no idea what I was getting into. And just so many students. I mean, every single class I teach is half full of very naive candidates who who have no idea what game they're playing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So enough about that. What's the title one more time? The For-Profit Law School That Crumbled and... um... In that article, there are links to a ton of things, but this this one uh, link to the applicant who got kicked out of the Florida Coastal School of Law, his name is David uh, Fract, I think. That whole, like, I started reading this blog post, and it's extraordinarily long, but the whole thing was very, very interesting, just going through all the the decision-making process and how law schools <laughs> look at these numbers and they t- he talks about the issue that we were talking about before like this this sense that law schools feel obligated to help applicants that are at a disadvantage to get 
into law school, but is that really helping them or is that saddling them with debt and now making their future even worse, you know? So uh, I found it a very interesting read. I completely agree with that. I mean, I want to help disadvantaged people. I really do. But I just, I also don't want to give disadvantaged people the rope with which to hang themselves. And sure. sometimes if you're admitting somebody to law school and then letting them sign their name and loaning them $250,000, you know, for a JD that they might not ever be able to even use, it's hard for me to say that that's good for that 21 or 22 year old. No, we were talking about this in class last week in San Francisco and my, my kids, you know, my students are very well-meaning. They're all, you know, they're all going to go change the world, which is wonderful, but they're they're pushing back on me on that. And they're saying, well, you know, who are you to make that decision for them? That's their decision that they should be able to decide. And my retort to that is, yeah, but 21 year olds are idiots because I was an idiot when I was 21. Mm hmm. And it, I would have just, ha you know, happily signed my name. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and I'm not saying don't make this option available, but it's like there needs to be some sort of serious counseling up front to explain it to people what's going on. Because I yep. feel like the people from disadvantaged backgrounds, they, they, they know even less what this means for their entire future. Yeah, I mean, as you're talking about right now, it seems like if law schools really want to be uh, helpful in this regard, then they need to put their money where their mouth is and say, okay, we want to take a chance on you and we're going to pay for your education because <laughs> then you really would only admit people for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, the problem right now, especially with for-profit schools, but even at other schools, is that the federal government's saying, yeah, yeah, we'll give them a loan. Yeah. So if you accept them, all of a sudden yeah. you get all this money from the federal government yeah. and you don't have to deal with the consequences. But if you really believe in that, then pay for it. Yeah, it's this perverse incentives there. I mean, and I don't know about making the distinction between for-profit and not-for-profit law schools in the first place because – some of these giant public institutions like, you know, Hastings, my alma mater, they're, they're, I guess, technically not a for-profit school, but it's hard to tell from looking at them. I mean, yeah, I, I don't really get the distinction there. They're either. not, they're not making, they're not giving, they're not giving uh, diversity oriented scholarships. I mean, they're giving merit based scholarships just like everywhere else. So the scholarship money is going to the people with the highest grades and the highest LSAT scores and, you know, the rich get richer. And then, yeah, they're admitting a lot of diverse students, of course, from all kinds of different backgrounds. But those kids are all there on these gigantic federal loans. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, are you really doing them a favor? Because it looks to me like you just took $200,000 from them. Yeah, well, from the yeah. government. And yeah, if they can't the... pay it back, then it's going to be from the taxpayers. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have an interview on an upcoming show with a bankruptcy attorney in Los Angeles. And she specifically has experience working with students to reorganize because you can't get rid of it, but you can sometimes reorganize your student debt. Mm. And, um, you know, I just, it's a sobering kind of a thing to hear her talking about students that have $200,000 worth of 
loans they can't pay back. You know what the um, average amount is for people who graduate? The average? School? No. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I, oh. 200 <laughs> sounds sounds high to me. No, no, no. It, well, so many, many people have other ways, you know? People get merit mm-hmm. scholarships. They pay mm-hmm. zero. People have families that pay for it. They, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have debt. People come into it with money. They don't have debt. They've got a spouse who works. Maybe they can minimize their debt somehow. Yeah. So it is a lot lower. And if it, this is one of those things again, though, where you know the average number is maybe not that instructive. That that what you need to be looking at is kind of the whole shape of the curve. Mm-hmm. I was out having beers last weekend with my buddy who is at the University of San Francisco, he's a 2L, and he already has $180,000 of debt. Oh, oh my goodness. I know, I know. I had the same reaction. It hurt oh. me. It was like punching the gut. I'm like, holy shit, dude, what are you? Oh, my God. And he's like, yeah. And, and you know, he's like a success story because this guy is – he has a job. I mean, he, he has a job uh, in uh, like – workers comp litigation kind of stuff. It's, he's already, he did that kind of work before he went to law school. He has a very clear idea what he's going to do. He's yeah. going to do just fine. But even he acknowledges, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm probably just going to be paying that debt off for the rest of my life. Wow. <laughs> you have to really love the law. For the love of law has a new meaning. Yeah. Yeah, you better be a true a true believer and really know what you're gonna do with it. All right, maybe we better we better move on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So on to the motivational stuff. <laughs> yeah, we have a question here from Kelly. Uh, says, "Hey guys, want to start by thanking you for helping me think through the LSAT and law school process via your podcast." Oh well, you're very welcome. Thank you for listening. I have a bachelor's in community development, 3.2 GPA, but I've been out of school for a while and have never been a good test taker. I've spent the last month and a half studying using Magoosh and official LSAT materials. Ben, do you have any experience with anybody using Magoosh? I've heard the name before, but I don't know anything about it. I thought Magoosh was originally created for the GMAT. Yeah, and now maybe it's expanded into platform for other tests. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, we have no idea whether this is quality or total shit. We have no idea. Currently, I score around a 157. I have had a few scores around 160, but also a few around 155. Earlier today, I scored a 155 and am now in the anxious pre-LSAT week mindset, which is not comforting. I'm probably burned out. I'm confident that under more structured and supervising studying conditions, I could perform better consistently. With all that in consideration, what do you think about me taking the February 4th exam and sending off applications? Is it an obvious choice to postpone? Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, we, Ben and I both responded simultaneously. We, we Without seeing each other's emails, we both responded and we said exactly the same thing to, to Kelly. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. That was funny. And, and like we one point one and point two. Yeah, we both made two, we made two points, <laughs> and those two points were exactly identical. Which was one: you're not ready. You did not do enough prep. A month and a half is not enough. You you know you, you're not ready. Your scores are not not what you know they could be. So you're not ready. You shouldn't take the test. Mm-hmm. And go ahead, Ben. What was point two? 
Point two was uh, applying next year will put your application uh, early uh, ahead of others, and oh, that that alone will help your yeah. Chances. It's a it's just a horrible idea to apply after with after the February LSAT is not the time to apply, and this is one. It's a clear sign of like the the kind of naive applicant, right? Is the hey yeah the deadline is March thirtieth, so. Yeah, I'm going to take the February LSAT and put my application in. I mean, that to me is just a fat fastball down the middle for these schools to like rip you off, you know, because yeah. they they know you're naive when you're doing that. They know you're you're ill prepared, and they're thinking they can. They're thinking they got a sucker on the line. I think when you do that. Yeah. So we both gave Kelly the exact same advice. He goes on to say, money's a significant factor for me as my degree will be funded by loans and whatever scholarships I can get. Hence my worry of doing poorly this Saturday and compromising uh, future financial options. Yeah, I mean, dude, no brainer. Yeah. If you had a trust fund or, you know, grandpa was just going to write a check, that's that's maybe makes it a little bit different. But if you're paying for it yourself, you you definitely got to you got to. Well, what he's got to withdraw, right? Yep. Withdraw by Friday night, midnight, Eastern time. Hopefully earlier than that, but if you need to yeah. know the exact time. <laughs> the website says 11.59 p.m., I think, um, on the day before the test. That's Eastern time, mm-hmm. and I would not wait until the last minutes. I would withdraw, um, you know, maybe Thursday sure. or Friday morning. Or as soon as you know. As soon as you know you're not going to be ready. Yeah, if you know for sure you're not going to be ready, which by the time this comes out, this podcast is going to come out like a day before the test. So it's not too late if you're registered. Um, And you know, one thing I consistently keep hearing too is, oh, I'll just sit for it and cancel my score. Yeah, yeah. Which is just bad. It's so bad. You, You waste one of your three attempts. You don't get your money back anyway. You, you know, people, sometimes people are like, well, but then I'll know what the experience is like. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about that? Oh, I don't think that's a reason to do it. Right. I, I don't think it's, it's not a consideration, but it yeah. ultimately comes down to how close are you? If, if there's a chance that you could, a decent chance or a reasonable chance that you could score somewhere that you'd be happy with or, uh, then take it. You know, and but don't cancel in that case. Don't cancel and get your score. Yeah. Your point here is to get something on record so that I think there's a psychological benefit to that too. Uh, taking sure. it, getting a score on record, even if you know that you're probably or almost certainly going to take it again. Something sometimes I think people have worked for a while and yeah. they kind of need to see that hey, all this has gotten me here, and yeah. for some reason, it being official makes it more real or something and then they can kind of do their next round of prep starting from that point so to speak yeah and if if you've never taken the test then the fact that you have three uh shots left makes it not such a big deal someone though who only has two shots left or one of course then that totally changes but yeah taking it and then canceling it that is not I, there's no, there's no benefit there. No, that's not your plan. You, you should never have that be your plan. Yeah, actually, in the interview, 
I come around to telling Ken, Ken already has a really good score on record, but he's registered for February. Okay. Mm -hmm. But he thinks he maybe can score better. And with him, I actually did end up coming around to the idea of, dude, I hope you take it. And if you don't kill the games, maybe then you could just cancel. Yeah. But, but that's a, that's a not the situation that almost anybody's in. I mean, Ken already has a 170 on record. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. he's, he's thinking about going in and shooting for 175, in which case, if you don't get perfect games, then you know, you didn't get a 175. So you can just go ahead and cancel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, no, for, for, for any normal student, you don't have any scores on record, especially with the February test. There's no point because you can take June as your first attempt, the fall test as your second attempt and then you still have december as a third emergency backup if necessary yeah so there's no point in rushing to the february test nope okay you know what i also told a student the other day she she i thought this was kind of clever she signed up and she was thinking about um she was thinking about taking it even though she's like nowhere near ready Mm -hmm. you know she's 10 or 15 points away from her goal it's not going to happen on this saturday's test and I told her, but she, her plan was, oh yeah, I'm just going to go sit and then cancel my score. And I'm like, no, for all the reasons that we always talk about. But uh, if you do want to, uh, you know, see what it's like, mm-hmm. one thing I told her um, to go to her testing center. Okay, sure. Like withdraw. Yeah, yeah. So it's unofficial. <laughs> yeah. So you're not there. You're not. Yeah. But then go to the testing center on the day of the test just so that you can see all of the, you know, nervous people with their Ziploc bags and um, their pencils and all that shit. That, I think, could be actually pretty helpful for for calming nerves, right? Like, you've been to the testing center before on test day. You've seen what it looks like. You've seen how the whole thing is going to go down. Yeah. And then when you come back in June for your actual test at that same testing center, well, now it's like, yeah, okay, I've, I've done this before, basically. Sure. And you get out in time for lunch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she gets to just not even do it. You know, she gets to yeah. just <laughs> be like walk. But I told her, yeah, you can walk right up to the registration table. You know, there's nothing yeah. stopping you. And just you could go you could go say hi to him. I mean, <laughs> then you're going to have to leave. But you could you could totally get there right to the front door and then just see see how it feels. But mm-hmm. no, if you're not ready, do not do not register and, or do not sit into the test if you're not ready for it. Okay, so that's Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. Yeah. Here's an email where I changed the name here. I can't even really remember what I thought about this. Okay, so hi, guys. I'll keep it short. Basically, I'm wondering if I should apply to, I think this is University of Houston. Is that right? It says Houston down. Yes, this must be Houston. UHLC. I've never heard of it before. Okay. Mm -hmm. Must be University of Houston Law college or something like that university of houston law center law center got it okay Mm -hmm. i says i'm wondering if i should apply to university of houston law center part-time is a must therefore may is the deadline for my school Hmm. if i did and got rejected would it look bad if i tried the same school again next year here's the facts i took the december 2016 lsat and scored a 150 i did self-study but it obviously could have been better I have an engineering bachelor's degree, GPA, just barely missed 3.0. I've been working as an engineer in oil and gas for about four years. UHLC told me that the longer you've been out of school, the less your GPA matters. Thoughts? 
Uh, I'm planning to take the next LSAT regardless, anticipating my low LSAT to not be enough. Hmm. Uh, staying in Houston is a must, so of course I'll be applying to the other schools here, but UHLC is my first choice. Let me know if I can clarify anything. Awesome show. Best. Uh, I put Joe. I guess I don't understand the rush. Why Why not just, if if he's planning to take the test for sure, why not just take it and apply early next year? Yeah, he's in a hurry, like everybody else, in a hurry to go to law school, start law school right now. Everybody thinks they have to do the next step. Yeah. Which is just a very expensive decision to be making. I think that if he applied now and got in, because I think that's what he's hoping will happen, right? Oh, as long as I get in, then I'm done with the whole application thing. Yeah. I don't have to worry about this anymore, and I get to start now. I think that's what Joe's thinking. But the problem is that if Joe applies now and gets in and then forgoes applying next year, <clears throat> he'll never know what kind of money he would have gotten. And even if it was, I don't know, a small scholarship, I mean, maybe maybe he doesn't have a chance at a scholarship where he's going, so it's not going to make a difference. But even a small one could be, what, $30,000 over three years <laughs> or something? I don't know. Yeah, that's a lot of money. I mean, that's a big payoff for another, you know, five months, four months worth of LSAT prep. And yeah. for, for delaying your start by a year. A lot of these part-time programs also have start dates that are, you know, they like, they'll let you start in the spring. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if this is true for this school, but it's possible that it's not even waiting another year. It's possible that it's only waiting six months. Mm. Yeah. You can also like think about things to do to help boost your application because now you have another six months or maybe another year. What do you want to do in your job or outside of your job that could give you something to talk about in your personal statement and make you stand out in more ways than you currently stand out and thus increase your chances of the school liking you even more and increasing your chances of getting a scholarship. I mean, I just feel like there are things you can do when you have a little more time that in the long run can save you money and uh, just make things a little more sane, right? Not so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I am concerned about Joe's chances on the bar exam. Yeah. Hopefully he does. I mean, that's the other thing is take it again and see if he can really get it up to something much better at least over 156 hopefully i mean we've talked about it before but the the bar association requires that law schools use a test right Mm -hmm. a test for admission Mm -hmm. and i believe that the reason why they're doing that is to try to raise this basically to protect students right or to protect applicants from getting ripped off by these law schools Mm-hmm. And so if you're at a 150 and that's the best you can do, you are a pretty significant risk to not pass the bar. Yep. And so if you, if Joe waits another, whatever, another year and, you know, works on his LSAT and tries to get it up to 160, 
then I would feel much better about his chance. If he can get it to 160, I feel much better about his chances of passing the bar eventually. If he can't get it up to 160, then I feel worse about his chances of passing the bar, which would be a data point in favor of just not paying all this money to go to law school. Yeah. Um, I don't think the school is doing him any favor here. You know, the, the schools are just like, oh, yeah, oh, sure, we'll accept your application in May. You know, oh, yeah, no problem. Oh, yeah, you know, it's been a long time, so we're not going to really care about your grades that much. I, it just seems like they want, they just want his money. Applications are down, and an empty seat doesn't bring them anything. And so a low-scoring applicant who can fill a seat and bring them more cash is just pure profit. Yeah. And what's the cost per student when you're adding one student well, to a class uh, of 30? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it costs nothing because it's like, some more at least for you for you ben or for me we would have to uh, pay more like lsac licensing fees and <laughs> yeah print out more books and stuff right it would it yeah. actually costs us money the law schools don't even pay for the books yeah i mean when, what do you actually get from the school you get like nothing you the, the professor's already there yep you pay for absolutely everything you pay thousands of dollars for your books yeah the room is already there there's an empty seat in the room so yeah, they have all the incentive in the world to just accept everybody and not really be too concerned about your employability or your ability to pass the bar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So thanks for listening, Joe. I think we're on the same page here, which would be wait, you know, let the LSAT protect you from making a really bad decision. Yeah, you know, it's funny, your for some reason your discussion reminded me that the, the LSAC is looking for a president. Did you know this? Yeah, uh-huh. Go on. Oh, okay. And um, I, I read over the application just really quickly, and they said that they're looking for someone who has the has a vision for uh, legal the le legal education in general and the, the legal world. And I was like... <laughs> These guys, they don't, they don't know what to do. They don't know where they're going. Yeah. I mean, they don't even know how to run their organization and turn a paper-based test into an electronic one. Yeah. If you want to modernize, that's what you got to do. You got to become more competitive. I don't know, man. I have a feeling they're doing that just because they're, they're raking in so much money. I mean, they, I was thinking about that. Like, why haven't oh, they sure. modernized yeah. the test? Well, because they charge unbelievable, ridiculous amounts of money for their for for the access to these tests and you know why would they ch they've got the golden goose like why would they do anything different if they don't until they're forced to i don't know why they would ever do anything different no it's true that's a very good point i mean <laughs> if they went to an electronic based test they wouldn't be able to release those questions in other words they wouldn't be able to sell them uh because you kind of have to keep a bigger database than the actual test so that it doesn't become predictable yeah, I have a feeling I, it's got to be related to that. You know, they've got to just be looking at like, hey, guys, do you realize that we right now can sell these? Like we we sell these tests for eight dollars a piece. Yeah, <laughs> we get eight dollars for every single one of these 30 page booklets we print out. Why would we change anything? We're, we're selling thousands of these things. 
Yeah. <laughs> Why would we? So, I mean, I don't really, I don't really blame them, but. Uh, LSEC though is not for profit, so I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a perfect, perfect example. Is that enough, you think, for Joe? Sure. Yeah. All right. Next email, it says, hey guys, maybe just my first name for whatever reason. And then at the bottom it says Josh or Doug or Bob or whatever you want to call me. So we'll go Josh, Doug, Bob. I was going to say the same. (laughs) Josh, Doug, Bob. So Josh, Doug, Bob, JDB, is a 32-year-old pharmacist considering law school. I'm taking the February LSAT and have been studying for a few months. I feel confident about my results on practice tests. My goal with this endeavor is ultimately to end up practicing some sort of healthcare law as I've always been more interested in the legal aspects of the pharmacy field more than being a practicing pharmacist, however bad that sounds. Uh, I don't know that that sounds bad. You're into what you're into. Yep. Something like malpractice or third-party contracting for pharmacy chains. My other thought is to remove my family's heavy reliance on the pharmacy field since my wife is also a pharmacist. Oh, he's trying to diversify their uh, income streams. I see. My question, other than do you think this sounds reasonable, has to do with admissions. Can I just give my two cents about whether this plan sounds reasonable? Sure. Yeah, I don't think it sounds reasonable. I mean, he's worried about... It just I would just push back on whether you need to diversify away from you know what's why are you so scared are you scared that the whole pharmacy industry is going to go under I mean Seems I like guess a pretty it's, big industry I mean if they're both yeah. working for the same company right make sense maybe but um, right I don't see less prescription drugs being sold ever. And I don't, so I don't know why he's worried. Maybe, I mean, he would know, right? So he, he has obviously better information about the pharmacy business and maybe it's not that good of a business, but it seems to me that I, I always thought that that was a really good job, like very well-paid and very solid. Sure. I mean, maybe he's just really doing this because he's more interested in the legal aspects of it. Yeah. In that case, yeah, you got to do, you know, when you only live once and you got to do what you think you want to do with your life. So yeah. That's fine. But if we're if we're talking about this in strictly in terms of financial, you know, economic incentive here, uh, mm-hmm. return on investment, I would it's a clear just don't even go to law school. You've already got a successful career. What are you doing? Yeah. The risk the risk is just enormous and you know, cuz the amount of money you're going to pay is going to be insane and whether or not you'll ever end up practicing law is a is totally crapshoot. So why would you leave a successful career <laughs> from economic standpoint? Yeah. But from all the other standpoints, I mean, sure. You know, if you want to change malpractice or whatever, okay, you know, that's great. Go, go do it. Um, okay. The other question has to do with admissions. I had two semesters left of undergrad when I was accepted into pharmacy school. Now I have a doctorate in pharmacy, but not a bachelor's. I didn't even know that was possible. By doctorate. What does that mean? PhD? Is that the only, is that? Uh, no, I think it's like a, I think there's a special doctorate. Like it's a, it's like an MD, but it's like yeah, a, yeah. something else. It's like a pharmacy D, <laughs> you know, like a JD and an MD. I think there's a pharmacy one. Yeah. Yeah. What do you got? I got a pharmacy D. I got a PD. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How is that possible? How did they accept him? I guess they, that's the issue, right? Like they were like, man, yeah, you don't need to finish. We'll take you. 
Essentially, yeah, I didn't know this was a thing, but anyway, it's a thing. The only response I've received from the admissions committee regarding this question is to apply and <laughs> see what happens. Sorry, I read that before you finished. Dude, hey, I had the same. I had that same reaction. What? Why is that so funny? I don't know. It just seems like you're asking the person who's supposed to know, and they're like, "Well, uh, let's punt and let someone else decide." Oh my gosh! Send us your money too. Well, that yeah, that's how I felt about it. It's just like, how sleazy can these people possibly be? Mm -hmm. You know, this is a yes or no question. And you, it seems like, you know, either this is possible or it's not possible. But instead, they're like, oh, yeah, just pay the $100 application fee. Well, then we'll answer your, your simple yes or no question. He, I also, JDB has, has all, it looks like he only asked one, one admissions committee. Okay, yeah. Yeah. You know, he's, it's like, he, this is a, this seems like I'm, I'm a little worried when someone's talking about the admissions committee, Yeah, you know, cause you should be applying to five, 10, 15 different schools and you, you should be talking to multiple admissions committees. Yep. And if one admissions committee is not going to answer this very simple question, uh, maybe that's a sign that you don't want to go to that school. Mm -hmm. You know, so what are the odds in your opinion of being accepted. Should I take night school classes and finish my bachelor's and then apply? We, we have no idea. Yeah, sorry, Josh, JDB. We don't know. I didn't even know this was a, possi was a possibility. But I would say if you call around and ask five different law schools, they're going to have pretty good advice for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get a consensus. See what everybody tends to yeah. say. It's totally possible, and it stands to reason that a doctorate is going to just go ahead and trump your lack of a bachelor's degree. Sure. That would be dumb. It would be very dumb of them to require you to have a bachelor's when you already have a, a whatever pharmacy doctorate and you've been practicing pharmacy for years. Why would you possibly need a bachelor's degree at that point? Yeah, is it that the ABA requires law schools to only admit people who have... An undergrad? Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, but that might not be the actual requirement, you know? Yeah, the requirement exactly. might be you have to have, you know, a degree of some sort, like a post-secondary degree might yeah. be the, the actual requirement. So it's totally possible that this doctorate is going to outweigh it. It made me wonder if he would be able to raise his GPA, though, because he hasn't finished his bachelor's. I was wondering if that then opens the door for him to um, go take a couple super easy classes get A's, finish his bachelor's, and then have a higher undergraduate GPA as a result of that. Sure, yeah. Because you, you can't do that if you already got your bachelor's, but if you don't, maybe there's a loophole there. I don't know. You, you need two classes to finish. Well, that's great. I'm going to take these 10. <laughs> yeah. <They're> all... <laughs> so that aren't, that aren't going to give me my degree. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one. But that would be a huge waste of time, and he shouldn't do it. I mean, if, if he... <laughs> What he should really do is get the best LSAT score he possibly can and, you know, call it around, ask a bunch of schools. I, you know what? I know what he's going to say. He's going to say, well, but my wife is a pharmacist and we can't move because of reasons. And so then I'm stuck with this one law school. I would say you could still apply to a bunch of other schools just to see what happens. Sure. Mm, I'd hate to be tied to one law school. Oh, man. Yeah, that's just you're, you're. It's just such a bad bargaining position, you know. They know they've got you. They have very little incentive to give you scholarship when when you've already declared your true love. 
right? That you're just like, oh yeah, I'm only going here. I'm going nowhere else. And they're like, oh good, pay us full price. I heard there's this book called The Art of the Deal. Have you heard of this? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> whoever wrote that must be like some sort of master negotiator. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to look into it. So I think I need to read that just for fun. That sounds kind of awesome. Ooh, it's on Audible. I think I'm going to get it. Well, so anything else for Josh, Doug, Bob? <laughs> no, I um, I just hope uh, that he's going to law school for the right reason. Yeah, which is what? That he really wants to do something uh, in the legal aspect and he needs a JD. I mean, sometimes you can get involved in the legal aspects of something yeah. and not have a JD. So Yeah, he could, I mean, just, you know, brainstorming, but possibly be like an expert witness in in these kind of malpractice and pharmacy sorts of cases yeah uh or i don't know do any kind of other policy advocacy stuff without you know without paying for the jd the jd's you know that that's to certify you to take the bar so that you can be a practicing lawyer that's what that's for yep and if that's not why you're doing it then it's yeah what maybe you don't need it Hey, here's our little reminder to promote our subscribe page. <laughs> yeah. If you go to thinkinglsat.com forward slash blog forward slash subscribe and enter your email address, we will send you harassing emails once every week or two weeks telling you that the latest episode has been released and you can listen to it before all your friends do. Does that actually get, do Andy's notes go in that email? Does the email contain the notes? Yeah, so the, the notes on our website, which summarize basically the show and where things are discussed, will be sent to you via email. And so you can just uh, actually jump to the things that you're most interested in if you want. Yeah, and we've said it a million times because it's true. The notes are better than the show itself anyway. So you can just go ahead and read Andy's delightful notes if you sign up uh, for that newsletter. Yes, and those notes are responsible for most of the downloads that do occur on this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, it's basically Andy's show. Yeah. It's kind of like law school, right? I mean, it seems exciting going in, and then <laughs> you come out the other end, and you say, why did I do that? Okay, one more email here. This is from one of my tutoring students. Uh, Scott, and it says, I am taking the February 4th LSAT and I'm continuing to study intensely every day, but I've heard you and Ben talk about tapering off studying in the final week or so before the test, and I want to figure out what practically that looks like. I understand that I should not be taking full tests on the week of the real LSAT and scoring them so that I don't hit a particularly hard one and get a discouraging score right before the test. So should I simply be doing isolated questions or groups of questions and carefully reviewing answers? I have found that as I have recently been getting some better scores, being in the constant rhythm of taking time sections seems to be leading to improvement. I do not want to lose any of my edge in the final days leading up to the test. What do you think the best course of action would be? Normally, I'm studying a couple of hours a day and then a few more hours every day on the weekends. I don't think there's any problem with doing one 35 minute section every day or so just doing the section going over it figuring out what you got wrong 
and then calling it quits. I mean, for some people, and it sounds like for Scott, that's going to be less studying than what he's been doing. It'll probably take him an hour tops. And I think it does two things. One, it helps you with timing and executing under the timed condition. And at the same time, you encounter problems that you find challenging and you can learn from them. So I think it does both things that you need to be doing right before the official test and throughout your studying, but right before the test as well. Yeah, it's like more and more I just love this idea of of the daily habit of doing a 35-minute section, a 35-minute section every day. Mm-hmm. And if, if that's your whole prep plan, you know, if you started three months ago or four months ago, six months ago, and you've just been in this rhythm of doing one section every day, it's like your daily walk, you know, or whatever it is that you do to get fresh air and exercise. And, you know, you, you just, oh, yeah, go for your little stroll around the neighborhood. And it's no big deal. You do it every day and that's enough to, to stay reasonably fit, right? Mm-hmm. And and so if if that's what you've been doing and if you feel comfortable doing that one section a day, yeah, why not just keep it rolling, you know? And then when you roll when you go into the test on Saturday, you're going to be doing five of them. But you're so used to doing them that it's just like, oh, okay, well, here's one 35 minute section and then here's another 35 minute section and that's just no big deal. Mhm. Yeah. So I I definitely would not be doing full tests. I definitely would not be like ramping it up. That's the world's worst thing is people who start doing, you know, a full test every day in the week leading up to the test. That's the worst. People that do that don't actually review their mistakes. They're not learning anything. All they're doing is just like rolling the dice and seeing, you know, hoping to come up with a better number. Mm -hmm. And uh, what happens a lot is that you then, yes, you get a bad number and then you stress yourself out and you start uh, circling the swirling down the toilet bowl. So whatever you do, don't do that. I think the best analogy for that is imagine trying to get stronger and you go to the gym and you do this intense workout and then you're anxious and feel like you've got to get strong by Saturday. So then you go back the next day and do the same thing over again. You're just killing yourself. You're not allowing yourself to actually get stronger because you're not allowing yourself to recover. And I don't think people realize that this is a mental game and a mental drain and how focused you are and how much alertness you have is going to have so much more of an impact on your score that last week than any sort of prepping. Even sometimes people, I talk about doing a 35-minute section, and they're like, well, I don't know if I can do one on Tuesday or something. It's like, look, one section is not going to make a difference at this point (laughs) in your preparation. It's just to keep you in, like Scott is saying, kind of keep you in the rhythm of things and just kind of a light jog every morning. Yeah, and if this is the day before the test, right, if this is coming out on Thursday or Friday and you're listening to this right now and you're taking the test uh, in a day or two on Saturday, you you definitely don't, you don't need to be doing any studying at all. If sure. you if you haven't already done the work, it's too late. Yep. And so you need to sort of send yourself the message that you're ready for Saturday. I think the way you do that is you go get some fresh air, get some exercise, go to a movie, get some sleep, you know, see some friends and family, remind yourself how lucky you are to be here now. Mm-hmm. And the last minute frantic studying is not going to do anything. No. 
Uh, here's another question. It says, my other question is about taking practice tests that I've already taken. This is my final LSAT attempt. Took it last year in June and September. So I have already done all of the most recent LSAT tests. I started studying about three months in advance of February, and I was going through the tests from, from my online class in their original order until about two or three weeks ago when I decided that I had better skip to the most recent ones so that I'm doing the most recent tests closest to the real LSAT. Eh, that's, to me, a little over-engineering, you know? It, it's mm -hmm. like, you've done a broad prep, you've got a lot of experience, you've already seen these tests one time before. I don't think it super matters that you're like, oh boy, I better be looking at the most recent one, and I have to look at the most recent one today. I, I think you're holding on a little too tightly there, and... You know, you you got to just sort of count all of the stuff you've done and just remember, hey, I've put in a lot of prep here. I'm mm -hmm. I'm ready for this. Sure. Okay. And then he's talking about numbers, you know, 163, 162, 167, 163. But he doesn't think those are good indicators of his actual level because he has seen those tests before. Yeah. I wanted to hear what you thought about the value of these results. Well, I, I do think that they are likely to be skewed. It just depends on how long ago he took them. Is it, was it three months ago that he took them? Or that seems like maybe that's what it was. I, I don't. I it's not really quite clear. I mean, it it also depends on Scott. I mean, sometimes people remember these things more than others. Sometimes they remember a particular game and how they did a lot better on that game when they created worlds and they come to it now again and they, they go ahead and right away do worlds. And it's hard to say how much of that is because you remember that that was useful or you've really internalized that idea. Uh, it kind of depends on how thoroughly he reviewed them. I would say that they probably are not uh, reflecting totally where he is. It just, it just depends. Yeah, I, that's what I told. I mean, I sent him an email back and I was like, it's just going to be very different for everyone. I mean, so for some people, it might be only a point or two boost. For other people, it might be a more significant boost. It depends on how your memory works and how long ago it was you took them and all that kind of stuff. So I I think the, more than anything, I just want to say it's not, it doesn't matter. You know, you you have a range of possible outcomes on the day of the test that range has improved significantly through all of the hard work you've put in. So you just need to go in there and have a good solid day, day you know, yeah. I mean, these numbers don't mean anything at this point. It, what, yeah. what matters is you going in there and just calmly, carefully answering them correctly. Just use the 35 minutes wisely and, and just get them all right, essentially. Yeah. And to, Add to that point, sometimes people uh, take tests again and they ask me if it's worthwhile or if there's any benefit to it since they've seen the questions before. And my response is always the same. Unless you're getting a 178 on a retake or higher, yeah, then you're missing questions that you've seen before and hopefully reviewed at some point in your life, and yet you're still getting them wrong why you need to figure that out like there's still something to glean from this test so it's not a wasted effort sure the score may not reflect where you're really at 
But that doesn't matter. If you're getting below right. 178, you're missing questions that you, in theory, should be getting right now if you had yeah. reviewed and really internalized the mistakes from before. Yeah, the point of doing these tests is not to see what number comes out of the random number generator at the end. The point of doing these tests is to expose yourself to the questions, sometimes multiple times, and see what kinds of ones you are getting wrong so that you can then try to fix those mistakes in the future. So yeah, retaking a test, and if he's getting in the 160s on these tests on a retake, which is fine, you know, solid, but... Mm -hmm. There, he's missing questions, and so yeah, I would just say, well, let, let's look at those mistakes. Of course, if this is Thursday or Friday, it's too late for him to be doing that. You usually advise nothing on the day before the test, no studying on the day before the test. I don't think there's any need. Sometimes people feel anxious, and I then I say, hey, look, if sitting there doing nothing is making you anxious, then do a thirty-five minute section. But I don't think it's going to matter one way or another, right? Yeah, it's there. There is no such thing as. Because you didn't study on the day before the test, that's why you got a bad LSAT score. That's mm -hmm. not, that is not a thing. But yeah, if it makes you feel better, if, or if it's fun, you know, if you just want to do it because you want to do it, mm -hmm. then by all means, that's great. But don't, we would usually say, hey, just take the entire day off on the day before the test and recharge yourself. Go see a movie. Go see La La Land. It's awesome. <laughs> and it is. It's amazing. Yeah, it's the second, second person to tell me to go see that with my wife, so... Go see it. I've it. seen it twice. It's a beautiful movie. I just love it. Go see it. Okay. And okay, I think that's about it. You added another item here, Ben, at the very bottom of our agenda. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So last time you told me about Mensa, I'd never heard of it. Or if I had, I'd completely forgotten about it. But this organization that what it's like for people who want to consider themselves smart or something it's like that? It's for people who want to be certified smart. It's for people who want a stamp of genius on their, I don't know, maybe they get a certificate or something, put it on the wall, or they can just tell people <laughs> that they're in Mensa. I think, yeah, I think they kind of have to drop it, right? Like be like, um, oh yeah, I have a Mensa meeting on Friday. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned this in the podcast and I was like, or I don't know how it came up, but Oh, someone had asked you, right? Yeah, like she wanted want... to use her LSAT score for her Mensa membership. Yeah, so I uh, it, I just remembered it at some point during the week, and I was telling the telling my wife and the kids about this this funny organization. I went to the website, and first of all, the the tagline is Mensa, where brilliance belongs. So wow. if you're brilliant, that's where you belong. But I was really searching for the LSAT score that was required. I was curious. I was like, well, what do you have to get to become a Mensa member? Mm -hmm. You only have to get in the 95th percentile. Uh, I mean, it's still a good score, but that's a 168 right now. So anyone who has a 168 out there and has a deep desire to be accredited as brilliant, you're good to go. You can apply to Mensa. Um, please, please don't do that. If you're thinking about doing that. <laughs> <laughs> for what for what possible purpose oh my god i have no idea why someone would want to do that but i was really curious what the score would be i was like you know it's part of my own insecurity and now i can i can walk around and know that i could i could be a member of uh, mensa and i think you know occasionally i will will mention that to people so it's even cooler <laughs> to say i could be a mensa member if i 
want to. <laughs> but I, but I, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> 168, huh? 95th yeah. percentile. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. Well, this lowers my estimation of the Mensa organization, by the way. I, I had heard of it. I, I It was a thing in the world since I was, I don't know, I guess I started hearing about it in high school or college or something. You you read something every once in a while, somehow it'll sure, mention. Sure, Nathan, you've been following this organization. Yeah, yeah, right. I was applying. I've been rejected so <laughs> many times. <laughs> I didn't know I could use my LSAT score to get me in. But yeah, I always thought it was like, I thought that was, you know, because they talk about it as being like for geniuses or whatever. And I'm like, oh, wow, Mensen, Mensen, oh, must be really super geniuses. But I don't think 168 makes you a genius. No, I mean, it's a great score, but... That's a broad definition of genius. Five out of 100 people who take the LSAT are geniuses? Yeah, yeah, that's that's concerning. Although, <laughs> if your, your one student could have taken the California test of mental maturity. Ooh. That would have qualified her as well. That's another one you can take? Yeah, there's a whole... Basically, any test here, you can take SAT, whatever, they have... All sorts of numbers. Is it roughly like 95th percentile on That's most of the tests? That's what it looks tests? like. Yeah. Yeah. You could take the PSAT. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What's it cost to join? Oh, that's an interesting question. Dude, that is something we need to do. We need to create an LSAT society and charge people to join it. That is one of your better ideas, Ben. I like that. That's that is genius. And we, yeah, to, we have to rename it. it. Couldn't be like LSAT Society. It'd have to be something else. But this is such a good scam. I mean, I can't. I don't know what it costs, but I'm sure they just reaping in the dough, right? All it's yeah. just a recurring fee every year. So here, oh yeah. So here's what it's going to be. It's going to be like we're going to charge a recurring fee. We're going to make it sound super exclusive, mm-hmm. but. We have to cut this out of the podcast, by the way. You have to get a 150 to be able to join. <laughs> you have to be you have to be in the moderate risk category for passing the bar. Because <laughs> we don't want to we want to have as many target people in the market as we can, so we want to keep it you know pretty broad. 150, okay. mm-hmm. and yeah, it'll just be like a 399 dollars a year recurring <laughs> on your credit card. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Okay, perfect. All right, we'll get to work on that. Uh, anything else for today? Was it? Did you want to talk about this tweet? Let's sure. Yes, um, I forgot about this, but this is uh, Benjamin Harkins, and his Twitter tag is at Benjamin Harkins, and we can read that because he posted it onto the internet. It says at Thinking LSAT. Am I wasting my 3.97 GPA on a mid-tier one school with my 160? Or uh, should I wait a year and retake? Opportunity cost of waiting seems high. Opportunity cost of what? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. I young people always seem to think that the that the it's like just a such a huge expense if they wait a year to go to law school. But I don't know why. It's this weird amorphous like. I guess he feels like he's going to be wasting the next year of his life if he waits. Yeah. To which I would say, then do something interesting for the next year. Like, what's stopping you? Go to India. This is a this is the legal career is a slow moving. 
long-term game, right? Like if you go to a top, if he has a high GPA. So if he can bring his LSAT score up, he could go to a top, top school and have more opportunities than if he went to a mid-school. I mean, still, it's T1. But the point is, is that this is not like, this is not like Silicon Valley where you have an idea and if you don't make it tomorrow, someone else will and now you'll have to come up with a new idea. Yeah, right. This is the same old thing that people are churned out of law schools. It's all systemized, um, if that's even a word. (laughs) And it's, you know, there's a process and if you want to play the game, the rules are all laid out. You just you, you increase your numbers, either GPA or LSAT or both. You go to a better school. You get higher grades. You go to a better law firm. That's how it works. It's it's all it's all laid out. Yeah, and he says mid tier one. We don't really know what that means. I don't pay attention to tiers. You know, I don't know what a tier is. I don't know what that is either, actually, now that you're talking about it. I kind of assumed it was the top four team, but that's only because whoever said that said that. I guess that's how some people, yeah, I guess that's how some people define tier one as the top 14. And now he's, so he's talking about mid top 14. (laughs) So he's talking about a seventh, the seventh or eighth ranked school in the country. I mean, those are goddamn good law schools. Yeah, I don't think you could get in with a 160. 3.97 and a 160 and he gets into like Michigan or something like that. I mean, I think it's possible, but I think the probabilities are low. Yeah, right? right. So maybe he's defining tier one as like the top 50 or something. So maybe he's talking about a, like a school ranked 25th or something. Yeah. It depends on what he wants to do, right? If he wants to go into big law, I think he should get a, instead of his 160, he should get a 165 or a 170 and he should go to a top elite law school and go to the best school you can possibly get into. Not to mention, you know, he's not talking about money here at all. Yeah, I mean, even if he doesn't want to go into big law, why not just get a higher score for a little more time and money, probably, and then get a scholarship at a lower tier school or a mid T1, whatever that means. Yeah, or get yourself your 170 and go to Stanford, right, with your 3.97. Yeah, that's awesome. It's awesome, and uh, you put a 170 on top of that, and now all of a sudden you're going to Harvard and Stanford and places like that, right? So yeah. Yeah, if he's asking whether he's wasting it, um, I don't know. Seems like maybe he thinks he's wasting it. Yeah. You know, and and if yeah, again, as far as the opportunity cost, I mean, what about the opportunity cost of wasting your next year in law school? That like that could be an opportunity cost. I don't know. This next year of your life, you could do amazing things while you while you wait for law school. So I don't see what the opportunity cost is. Yeah. Okay, so that's Benjamin Harkins, at Benjamin Harkins on Twitter. Uh, Thank you very much for tweeting us. You can always tweet the show, at ThinkingLSAT. You can tweet me directly, at NFox. You can tweet Ben, at StrategyPrep. You can email uh, to both Ben and me simultaneously if you use help at ThinkingLSAT.com. Check out Ben's website if you want to learn about his classes. Uh, He's got live classes in D.C. He's got an online program that you can do anywhere in the world. He does one-on-one private tutoring. Uh, That's at strategyprep.com. Same thing with me. If you're interested in one-on-one tutoring via Skype or live classes in San Francisco, live classes in Los Angeles, 
And uh, I have an online program that you can do anywhere in the world. And that is all at foxlsat.com. Anything else we need to pitch there? No, thanks. That's, that's great. Okay, cool. We will be back at you very soon. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend. Yeah, man. So let's, uh, let's just jump right in. You said you're working on your applications. What's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. What are you, what are you doing right now? What's going on? Yeah. So, uh, I have a, a deadline for most of this, not most, I guess, but like, I think almost like half the schools that I'm pl- applying to are, uh, coming up in a couple of days. Okay. How many schools are you applying to? Uh, I had about 15 or 16 on my list, but I think uh, I narrowed it down to about maybe a dozen. Okay. And uh, most of them have the uh, application fee waived for uh, this year's applicants. So, yeah, the cost is not going to be that much. Great. Except, um, yeah. Except the LSAC charges, uh, what, $30 per application? <laughs> right, yeah. On their side, yeah. It's, uh, that's kind of a bummer, but it's what it is. Yeah, they're going to get their beak wet again and again and again. I mean, <laughs> they're sending in, yeah. they're sending basically an email, right? It's like all it is is right. a link to your file, probably, yeah. and something like that. And they're going to charge you $30 for every school you apply to, even if the school waived the admit, you know, the school is the one that's going to actually evaluate the application and spend some time on it. Yeah. LSAC has this system built. I can't help but feel this is a pretty big racket, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, you could make the pretty compelling argument that all of law school admissions, the whole entire thing, the all of law school is a decent racket, you know, all evidence points to that. They charge a lot of money for three years of pretty questionable, you know, educational value. It's just sort of a certification, right? Hoops you have to jump through. Yeah. It's just a artificial requirement for, uh, right. (laughs) Well, we jumped, we jumped right in and, for the listeners, obviously Ken and I know each other. Ken um, took my class in San Francisco and sat in the front row and we became uh, kind of buddies. We went out drinking at least once and uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's nice to, it's nice to talk to you, Ken. The reason why I reached out to you was because we've got the February LSAT right around the corner and we wanted right. to get someone on who had just taken the LSAT. So you took the LSAT, uh, December, 2016, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was early December. I forgot the exact date. Yeah. It was like December 3rd or something. So that, yeah, that yeah, it was a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. That makes you, you know, uh, a bit of a, an expert in test day issues. So I want to, I, I want to get a bit of, you know, your whole story because I think that's interesting but um maybe we could start by just talking about how it went for you on the day of the test was that your first time sitting or had you sat for before yeah no that was uh, that was my very first time uh, the actual lsat test okay and where'd you take it 
Uh, it was set, I think it's called the uh, Alliance uh, University or something in um, North uh, San Francisco. It's by, uh, I think it's called, it's by uh, North Beach. Okay, that's a new one. I didn't yeah. even know. I didn't. I haven't even heard of it. That's that's a that's a testing center that I haven't heard people mention before. So in North Beach Alliance University, what is that like? A some, you know. I, I mean, the name of it sounds like it has some kind of religious undertone to it, but um, uh, okay. The place was a like a nice, very tiny uh, campus. I mean, I, I can't. I wouldn't even call it a campus because it was just one of those you know buildings. A building in in North Beach. Yeah. Is it like on Columbus? Uh, you know, I'm not very familiar with uh, the streets or okay. places in San Francisco since I just moved here like <laughs> this year or last year. Columbus is the main diagonal street that cuts through North Beach. Columbus on one end hits the Transamerica Pyramid. And on the other end, Columbus runs into Fisherman's Wharf. So that's a the cable car okay. runs down a part uh, of Columbus. Yeah, yeah. I, th- was, I think it was right along it, alongside the, uh, maybe not the cable. Mm, yeah, yeah, it was very close. It was like a block or two from the uh, actual uh, the coastline. Oh, okay. So it was almost Fisherman's Wharf then. It was it was close to. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was very touristy. Oh, touristy. Yeah. Okay. Place, gotcha. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. So how many other people were there when you were taking the test? Uh, in my, uh, so this is a, I think I explained it to you in my email, but um, the, uh, my classroom had uh, just the three of us plus the proctor. Okay. And um, then uh, I think there were about some, I think, I don't know the exact number, but there are at least uh, 50, 60 people in the whole, uh, whole building taking the test, maybe more. This is, that sounds sort of bizarre. 50 or 60 people at the center, but in your room, you had your own proctor and there were only three people in the room? Yeah, uh, they, yeah they separated us into um, maybe a half a dozen classrooms. Yeah, it was a special situation for us because it, uh, I, I was assigned like a, uh, what's that special accommodation status? Oh, okay. Hand, yeah. Handicap because uh, I'm left-handed. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're differently abled. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. So yeah. you're in the, wait, don't tell me it was all lefties in your room. It was, uh, well, two of us were lefty and one, this other guy was just, you know, regular righty and he was just, yeah, he was just in there. I don't know why. Okay. All right. So yeah. All right. So let's talk about this. So you, you, uh, applied for special left-handed status ahead of time. No, I think, uh, they just ask you on the, um, when you register for the test, they uh, ask you if you're left-handed or right-handed. Okay. And I get it. Yeah. I, yeah. I had no intention of, you know, getting like a, any special accommodation <laughs> or treatment for being left-handed, but <laughs> Okay, so they hooked you up though, so that because uh, yeah, I mean there are those classrooms that have all of those little flippy, you know, the little desk things yeah, that yeah, flip up uh, in your lap, and old. almost all of them are right-handed. And if you right, right. otherwise, you the lefties would like get there early 
uh, not for the LSAT, but the lefties in, I remember in college, like lefties really coveting that left-hand aisle <laughs> seat because it was the only one that flipped up from the left. No, I, I do remember feeling, uh, you know, I don't want to use the word discriminated against because, you know, <laughs> that's not quite what I felt. But like in high school, we, you know, we, we had these chairs and all of them were uh, for right-handed people. And you know, I, I do remember having trouble. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, was, it was minor inconvenience, but. <laughs> if you're in kindergarten, you can't use the scissors because the <laughs> yeah. scissors no, are. Yeah, that's one of those things, too. Uh, I still have trouble. Like, it just doesn't cut right, you know? Dude, scissors are totally right-handed. They they really are. Yeah. They're meant to be used right-handed. <laughs> if you try to use a right-handed mm-hmm. pair of scissors with your left hand, it doesn't it's not gonna really work. So, yeah. What other things are like that? That's kind of funny. I think uh, I've heard shaving shaving blades are sometimes designed uh, a specific way. Whoa. Because the angle you approach is different uh, when you're shaving. Uh, yeah, left hand side and the right hand side of your face. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know if that really applies to the uh, left handedness, or but because I, I never used the actual like the shaving blade, you know. Yeah, yeah. That people well, used to use back in old days. <laughs> oh, you mean like for a um, like a straight straight razor? Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. So that's different. Well, there's there's problems for like. Well, I guess there's like sports equipment is an issue, right? You could never borrow somebody's uh, golf clubs or baseball mitt. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think sports they tend to uh, accommodate pretty well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you are right. I think uh, that um, you know, golf clubs. I don't think left-handed people can use other. Uh... <laughs> no, you're gonna have a hard time <laughs> trying to borrow somebody's. Yeah. yeah. Um, no. Okay, so academically, you were set back in kindergarten because you had right-handed scissors handed to you, and you then were not able to cut straight because of that. Yep. That's yep. a tough one. <laughs> yeah. And yep. then in school, the desks, there would be the wall of right-handed desks, and you would feel alone. I would feel marginalized. <laughs> marginalized. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So you check the <laughs> get off of our left-handed bits. Um, you okay? So you check the box for left-handed when you apply, yep. and because of that, it seems as if they farmed you into a special room. Yeah, yeah. Except the tables were just you know those regular like tables with no like you know arm thingies. No, it was just a table. Yeah, and a chair. So it it didn't really matter. No, but then, right, so in that room, lefties and righties were equal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. First time in my life. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so you're in a room with just... Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the test day itself. So you uh, you arrive at Alliance University... Is that what it's called? Alliance yeah, um, University? Yeah, I, I woke up about an hour and a half before the test, got ready. Uh, you know, I, I was borrowing my grandma's car, so I drove up there, paid uh, $25 for parking. Holy and, uh, shit. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I got there pretty early, like 30 minutes beforehand, and um, everyone was just, uh, you know, 
just had their uh, little packet of uh, pencils and sharpeners and their IDs sure. in their uh, plastic baggie. Everybody has, right? The what is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So How big of a baggie is it that you're allowed? It's uh, it's those. It's a big, big uh, plastic Ziploc bag. Like a gallon Ziploc bag, or like a quart Ziploc bag. I think bag so. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm not really. I grew up in Japan, so I'm not familiar with the uh, <laughs> the me- measurement system here. But I think it's the ga- gallon one. Or okay, it's it's, it's the it's the biggest Ziploc bag um, that's you they they usually sell at stores. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. So I mean, you could you know I could immediately spot the test takers because that's all they had on them. Right, and they've got their yeah. their pencils and their mm-hmm. yeah. highlighter. Did you bring a highlighter? No, no, it's highlighter. It's not my thing. No, me either. And uh, yeah. did you bring a an, an eraser, <laughs> a special eraser? No, no. I um, my, well, the pencils have those erasers stuck on the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the other hand. But I just rely on those. Uh, yeah. Watch. No, no, I just, you know, I, I adopted the Nathan Fox method, so I don't, I don't use a watch. No watch, yeah, I like that. And a, uh, did you bring a snack? Did you bring a bottle of water? Yeah, I, I didn't bring any liquid, but um, I just, I brought a couple of power bars, and uh, I think it was, I think everyone should bring a couple of, just, you know, small food and uh, to uh, keep you going after uh, the halfway point, because you do, you do get kind of tired. And I think uh, a little bit of food helps. Okay. So <clears throat> a couple a couple pencils. Let's be honest. Yep. How many did you bring? Uh, I brought three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm being honest here. Yeah. <laughs> but the guy sitting right next to me, another left-handed person, he brought the entire, like, I don't know what to call it, the uh, package. <laughs> I don't even think you were supposed to do that, but... Yeah, yeah, he had like, I don't know, two, two, maybe like two dozen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, awesome. I mean, he was, he was like going all out. <laughs> I mean, you know, better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. <laughs> but, <laughs> all right, you, uh, how did the check-in go? I mean, you got your, uh, you got your admissions ticket in your hand, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was very lax. I didn't. It's not what I expected. I thought they were gonna like pat me down and stuff, but you know, mm-hmm. they, they didn't even check your pockets or anything. They just kind of like asked you to uh, show them your ID and the uh, the admission sheet, and that was it. So I mean, I could have walked in there with a cell phone or you know some other stuff. I think if I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always, I have my own personal dilemma about the cell phone issue because it seems just so ridiculous that you can't bring your cell phone, you know, what what are you going to do? You're going to call your friend (laughs) in the middle. (laughs) The proctors are looking at you. You you can't get out your phone and be like sending text messages or anything. It's not like that's going to, so I feel like you should be able to have your phone you know, in airplane mode or put it at the front of the room or something like that. It's just, it's stupid that you are not supposed to bring your phone. So in law school, I, we were not allowed to bring our phones into our exams and 
you know, Hastings might revoke my JD for for admitting this. Violating their code? I violated their code, dude. I violated it. Because I would turn my phone off and just put it in my pocket and then take the yeah, exam. I think that's a totally legitimate thing to do, I think. These days. I mean, they need to modernize that rule, right? That's just kind of mm-hmm. stupid. Because otherwise, people end up, you know, if you're... If you don't have access to a car, then you, and you know, and people like take public transportation. Yeah, you gotta catch an Uber, right? You gotta catch an Uber, you gotta do yeah. whatever. And oh no, but I'm not allowed to have my phone. It's an evil technology magic piece. Mm-hmm. You know, I, oh, I can't have that with me. It's like not allowed at the testing center. Uh, that's just dumb. Everybody has a cell phone, man. That <laughs> they should, they gotta come up with some sort of a system of, cubbies or something at the front of the room yeah yeah plus i think you would do worse if you try to cheat using your cell phone <laughs> because i mean let's face it test is just 35 minutes right and that i mean that's a lot of time you're wasting you know you'd have to be doing some ninja style you know because what are you going to do you're going to photograph quick photograph yeah. the test question email it to yeah. your friend text it to your friend whatever then they're gonna fire back the answer i don't know well i don't know i guess now that i think of it that actually could be pretty awesome i don't know if someone shot me like a photo of the page Mm -hmm. and then i just you know a few minutes later send them back the answers i don't know yeah well (laughs) i i think we i think we can conceive of ways to uh make it work (laughs) but i think it's a lot easier if you just you know if you just follow your uh, method of studying and get the test down (laughs) yeah yeah okay so you yeah just so so talk about it the registration was yeah just uh very uh, lax you just you know check in show your id make sure you're on their uh Make sure you're registered with the, on their list, and um, they give you the they gave me the room number, so I went there and uh, just sat down and waiting for, waited for uh, I think it was eight o'clock. Yeah, that's when the test started. Yeah, I was there. I think I can't remember what your advice was regarding uh, how early you want to get there, but like I said, I was there about 30 minutes beforehand, so um, I had a lot of time to just kind of sit back and. Uh, Relax. My standard advice on that is just to get there plenty early, but then maybe not go, maybe don't board the plane, you know, like get to the gate. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then not necessarily, it sounds like you had a pretty empty flight anyway. <laughs> yeah. You get, yeah. <laughs> you get to the gate yeah. and then you just kind of eyeball it, you know, <laughs> make eye contact with the gate agent and be like, hey, I'm going to chill out here where there's plenty of room, you know, we're not leaving right now. Right. Are we? And then, then maybe go in at the last minute. Cause once you're in there, you're not allowed to have any reading material. You're not allowed to, it's, I find it very amusing that you're not allowed to access your water, which you didn't bring or your snack during the test. You can only do it at the break. So you can bring it into the room, but you're not allowed to access it during the test. Yeah, I think uh, I was instructed to just keep the um, the essentials on the table. We had okay. a lot of space on the table, so um, you know we 
we put the uh, food and drinks, I think it was below our seats. Okay. And I just had uh, the pencil sharpener, pencils, and um, erasers, and my ID on the table. Okay. You got your three pencils and your pencil sharpener. This other dude has his 24 pencils. Yeah. (laughs) And his... Did he bring a... You might want to bring a backup pencil sharpener. You know? What if your first pencil sharpener breaks down? Yeah. Did they start, like, on time, or were they late, or what Yeah, yeah. It was just, just, you know, the three of us, so we didn't have to wait around for anybody. We just started, and... um, we actually, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but we actually like finished first because um, I don't know if I should disclose this, but the writing section is at the end, right? Yeah. We all finished about 10 minutes uh, early, earlier than our allotted time. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Proctor saw that we were like kind of done and we're just, you know, staring at, staring at the ceiling. So he's just, okay, you guys done? You know, if you're done, uh, you know, let's just finish this up, pack this up, and leave. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was very uh, quick, to be honest. Okay, nice. Uh, you did sections one, two, and three back to back to back, right? Yeah, yeah. 35 minutes per section. The proctor gave you a five-minute warning on every section? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he? He, was, uh, he was on point. He didn't fuck it up. Okay, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And then your break? Yeah, it was like, a, I guess it was 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I just had my power bars and went to, use the, uh, went to the restroom and um, came back and uh, did the rest. Were there any restrictions about where you could go during the break or what you could do during the break? Um, I don't think the proctor mentioned anything specific, specific but it, yeah, I mean, it was only like yeah, 15 minutes, so we... Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think anyone like went out the, went outside of the side, side of the building. Okay, but you could if you wanted to, if your car was outside and you wanted yeah, to go. I think I, I think I could have, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So 15-minute break, no big deal. You get up, stretch your legs, use the restroom, mm-hmm. eat some yep. snack, whatever. And everybody's back, sitting back down, and then you go. So section four and section five? Yep. All right. What was your experimental section? Uh, I think it was logical reasoning. Okay, so your test had one games, one reading comprehension, and three logical reasoning. Mm-hmm. So you knew that logical reasoning. By the time you got to, when you got to the third logical reasoning section, I guess you knew that one of the three sections didn't count? Actually, the uh, the third logical reasoning section was at the very end. Okay. Yeah, so I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't really, I couldn't really tell until the very end. Yeah, right, because you did, you had had two LR, one games, one reading comprehension, and you're thinking, well, there's four sections. <laughs> Those all totally could count, and then yeah, yeah. whatever yeah. section was the section five, it, it wouldn't have mattered. You would have been thinking, well, this potentially could be the experimental section, mm-hmm. which also was true of all four of the previous sections <laughs> that you had taken. Right, right. Yeah. So you followed my advice. You didn't think about it. No, I, I didn't try to. I didn't try to guess it. <laughs> yeah, <out of> boy. <laughs> All right. Yeah, okay. How did you feel about how the day went? I mean, you were feeling. Oh, it was a overall very uh, positive experience. Okay. I think uh, if everybody 
felt the way I did about the test, I think um, El- LSAC would be doing a very good job. But um, yeah, no, I, um, I I didn't I didn't feel any uh, doubts about how I did or how I performed. I think uh, I did the best I could on that day. You know, you always you always say uh, just, just treat it like another uh, data point, and um, I, that's exactly how I felt about it. Yeah, I mean, that was prep test eighty, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is. It is now prep. The December 2016 test is prep test 80, and I use it in my classes all the time. So, okay, yeah, right. I mean, you you sat for you had already done prep tests, you know, 60 through 79, probably or something like that, like a whole big mountain of recent prep tests, and then yeah, yeah, that test that you took that day is now literally just prep test 80. So I don't know that there's any need to get all super dramatic, right? super. Yeah. It was just an extension of, you know, what I had been doing on my own and through your classes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not doing this to toot my own horn. You had done plenty of prior prep. I mean, you, you did, how many tests do you think you did before you sat for the test? I think I did. I know I did more than 15, but. I don't think I did more than 20. Okay. 15 to yeah. 20 tests that mm-hmm. you had, you know, you'd done the whole thing and you'd reviewed pretty, pretty ruthlessly, you know, intensely reviewed your mistakes and try to figure out why you're missing the ones you're missing. Do you remember what your score was like a first cold? LSAT? Oh yeah. The very first one, uh, I, the practice test I ever took was, uh, one, I got a one fifty six. Okay. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think I might have mentioned it in the very beginning, but um, well, when I first uh, emailed you, but <clears throat> like I couldn't answer or I couldn't finish half of the uh, logic game section, right? Because I had spent too much time on the first two. I mean, I guess one fifty six is like an average score, right? Uh, no, that's that's slightly above average. One one fifty three or one fifty four is like the fiftieth percentile of people that sit for it. So starting okay. starting with a one fifty six means that you're sort of a just naturally you know above average kind of a candidate. And then you your practice test scores. I mean, what were you looking at when you went into the test? Yeah, so uh, I study. I began studying back in uh, August, and um, I yeah I kept improving consist- consistently. And you know, a few tests I scored worse than I had uh, prior to them. But um, a couple days before the test, I think I got a one sixty nine, and uh, I can't remember if it was after, before, or after the test, but I got a one seventy one. Okay. I think it might have been after, yeah. So I knew that I was within that range, and um, yeah, it's just I was just uh, yeah, I was very excited to see my score. Which was we haven't said that yet. Oh yeah, I got a one seventy. What percentile was that one seventy? Do you know? Uh, they on the thing that you said ninety uh, seventh percentile. Ninety seventh percentile, one seventy. And... Does that vary a lot from test to test? It it varies a little bit. Yeah, no, it, it does vary a little bit. 
one of my former students, uh, this guy, Mike made a, uh, like a data visualization, he called it and we posted it on my website. I can send you the link to it, but it was, he used like the old data from the percentiles and he, he, he broke it down where you could, you could figure out what score was what percentile and it, it changes by year, but it doesn't really change. It does not yeah. change very much. I mean, you've, um, 170 is pretty clearly an elite score. Do you have good grades? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so okay, I, I, almost, I almost have to get this elite score. <laughs> you, you can't fake that LSAT score. It's just, uh, you know, there's no way to bargain or negotiate yourself to that LSAT score. So uh, that is you know, that's going to cover up for a lot of uh, sins during your undergraduate career. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Where, where are you applying? What's your, what's your plan for law school? I know you're applying now, but what, what types of schools are you looking at? I want to go to schools in the, uh, in California, and uh, my top choices are like uh, in the Bay Area. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I'm only applying to one school out of state. Okay. Yeah, so that's UH, uh, University of Hawaii. Yeah, okay, because you have roots in Hawaii, right? Yeah, or I mean, you, I, you spent know, spent time there or something. Yeah, I, I spent eight years of my childhood there. Okay. Yeah, but um. Do you still have family there or no? Uh, yeah, just my mother is still living there. Uh, what island? Oahu. Okay, very nice. Yeah, yeah. But the uh, other schools are mostly in the uh, Bay Area, and I am applying to uh, one school in San Diego. Okay. It's also where I spent a lot of time, uh, and uh, I think I'm applying to a couple schools in LA too. Okay. I'm not. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure that I would ever want to go back there, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. I mean, if you ever want this LA sales pitch, I'd be happy to try to give it to you. But <laughs> <laughs> we can have a beer sometime and we can talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Anything else? Uh, you know, any any uh, tips? Do you think that maybe the listeners should hear about uh, test day or about the whole prep process? Yeah, I think just follow Nathan's, Nathan and Ben's advice about studying. I mean, it, you know, I'm only one person, but uh, it served me very well. I don't think I could have uh, gotten that score if I hadn't uh, taken Nathan's class and listened to the, your, uh, your guys' podcast. Yeah, well, I mean, you probably would have had a higher score if you would have taken Ben's class instead. But <laughs> unfortunately for you, you're in San Francisco and you had to deal with me. I mean, Ken, you were a standout student. You sat in the front row, which doesn't mean everything, but it doesn't mean nothing either. I have noticed a trend of people who do the best sitting in the front row correlation is not causation, but I tend to have a hypothesis about the people who sit in the front and you also, you know, you were 
you were obviously very diligent. You asked great questions. It was clear that you had done all the homework. This is on you, dude. This is not on me. Your success is <laughs> you, you were going to be successful no matter where you did it. So no, it, it, it was uh, my pleasure to have you in class and I'm really happy that you were so successful on the test. I mean, do you think you could have done better than a 170? Well, first of all, yeah, thanks for all those uh, kind words. And, um, no, I just want to say that, like, uh, your class is very entertaining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, the way you explain questions and, uh, you know, the way you interact with students. If you like swear think, uh, words, then I guess it's, it's super entertaining. Yeah, well, I mean, let's just say, you know, we like free speech, right? Yeah, we do, yeah. But, um, yeah, well, going back to the uh, score, um, yeah, a couple. Of, uh, I think I emailed you too, but a couple of week, uh, week, weeks after the test, you know, I kept studying and um, I got a 175 on a practice test. Oh, man, yeah. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that makes me think that, you know, if I keep studying and take another test, then I might be able to do better. I believe you. I mean, I, I, I don't doubt that at all. You know, it's, it's very rare that I would tell somebody to retake it after a 170 because I my standard line is like hey man 170 anything is 170 anything mm-hmm. but I don't know I mean do you have a like a you're applying in the middle of the cycle right you're not applying early in the cycle you're applying in the middle of the cycle no, no. yeah this would be the middle I think yeah, no, it, it, well, I mean, like you said, half of your schools are not even accepting the February LSAT. So you're, you're kind of applying at the end of the cycle for those schools. And so I don't know. I mean, I guess, do you have any, is it like in the back of your head to, well, I had, um, originally, uh, scheduled to, well, I'm still scheduled to take this test this, uh, coming up this weekend. Oh, you are wait, are you actually registered for the February LSAT? Yeah, yeah I registered oh, uh, I think a couple weeks before the December test. Whoa, okay. All right. Yeah. I didn't realize this. This is awesome. All right. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to no, do? No, no, but um well, I I think I'm going to withdraw cuz uh I haven't had much time to um oh, focus yeah. on the uh studying part. So, you know, I, I just I don't feel that the pre- preparation is there. Yeah, okay. I mean, I you know, I could probably still get a 165 or something but you know there's no point right well i mean you know i'm always gonna make the counter argument (laughs) but i but I, i also believe in you and so you did you know you've you've you have scored a 175 on a real test uh you've also scored Mm -hmm. a 170 on a real test like the real on the real day you're gonna go into it like you're not gonna be nervous I, I'm little. I feel a little more pressure than the last time because you know there's a there's an expectation <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. I suppose you could so, always cancel. I mean, you know, if you if you if you take it and you don't hit a home run on the games, mm-hmm. you could just cancel. Oh right, right, yeah, right. Because that cancel is not hurting you at all. You're going to cancel, and you just have oh, I'll, I guess I'll just stick with my 170. And, but if you like, so say you take it and you ace the games Mm -hmm. and then you might be like, well, 
I know I aced the games, so maybe we just see what happens, you know, see what, see what the score is. Cause it's not going to be like, even if it comes back, like, let's say you ace the games, but then you had a couple hiccups on the other sections. Mm-hmm. One, I think you would have a pretty good assessment of whether that happened or not. So you could always just cancel. If you, if you had any doubt, you could just cancel. But if you go do it and you work diligently for 35 minutes on all of the sections and if you know you ace the games, which you would be capable of knowing, right? You would know whether you got perfect on the games or not. But if you did get perfect on the games, then maybe you could just say, all right, let's just see what the score is. And, you know, if it comes out at a 174, even if it comes out at a yeah one seventy three or one seventy four that that's like that that's that's uh it's a uh, it's not nothing. Oh yeah, no, I'll be satisfied with a one seventy one or two. Yeah, even. I would never tell you to take it again. You know, if you weren't registered already, I would be like, nah, mm-hmm. come on. Oh uh, okay, yeah. But but since you already paid the hundred and eighty bucks, I mean, you got plans Saturday? No, no. All right. Well, we can talk about it, but I, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you not to do it. I feel like, cause I really, th- I feel like you have only upside and like no downside. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's still, uh, you know, I, I haven't taken off, taken it off the table. It's, uh, yeah, I'm still kind of preparing for it mentally, but, yeah. um, yeah, it's just, just, you know, just that little more pressure I have. And, uh, you know, the pre- preparation not being, <laughs> yeah, I get not it. really being, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I, I can't make the decision for you either way. I mean, I do mm-hmm. kind of want to know what happens if you take it again, but I, you know, you withdraw and you just decide to rest on your 170. That's a perfectly reasonable decision to make. And I think that's, uh, yeah, that's totally, <laughs> that is totally fine. Yeah. But I also think you keep saying, you know, I have the preparation isn't there, but do you really think you need to be prepping? I mean, you understand the test. You you get it, you know? And I feel like there's not yeah. that much. Yeah. Are you really going to get, you really going to forget how to answer a logical reasoning question? Uh, I don't, I just don't think you are. So really, you know, you're coming off a 170 on the December test. You do no prep, but you've done a couple tests actually, cause you didn't have your score, right? So you were still prepping for February as if you were going oh, yeah, to yeah. take February. No, no, I'm still, I'm still doing, uh, you know, like 35 minutes sections here and there and, uh, you know, going through your, uh, encyclopedia. And oh, even now page. you are, even now you are, or you have been like this week. I think I last, last I opened a book was like, uh, last Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm doing less than 50% of what I had been doing before the uh, December test. Yeah, but that's what I would have advised you to do anyway. I mean, you (laughs) because (laughs) I'm serious because you were prepped like you were ready for the December test. Clearly, you were ready Uh for the December test as demonstrated by the 170 that you achieved on the December test. You were ready for the test in December. My hypothesis is you're not going to get really significantly less prepared even if you do nothing and you haven't Mm -hmm. done nothing you've actually done things in between the december test and even after your score came out you still did some things and you've paid for the test and you know yeah now i'm now i want you to take it (laughs) 
Well, I like your idea about uh, canceling the test if I don't feel right about it. Yeah, I would never, ever tell anybody to cancel unless, you know, super dire, like, emergency sort of situation. But I've never even thought about it in this context where you've got a great score already on record and you were previously registered because you weren't sure whether you were going to have the score. So you registered in advance and then you kept up doing some prep for a while. And then now the February test rolls around and you have, it's a bit, you know, it's just like a free roll. It's a free, right, right. it's a free shot. I mean, do you, do you want, cause you don't even have to do any work. I mean, I don't, you don't have to study this week. You just go, it's uh, the, the only cost is really the only cost is your Saturday. And that's it. Yep. Yeah, no, uh, wow. I think, yeah, I think I might just do it. Dude, I would, is it the same place? No, no, uh, well, they, uh, I actually registered, not late, but, um, the place, same place was full. Okay. So, uh, I, I chose this place in Oakland, but then they, uh, rescheduled my location for, uh, you know, causes beyond their, uh, beyond their control is what they said, but. So I'm taking uh, the test center is actually USF. Oh, okay. Well, I mean that's the same same difference. There's actually uh, easier parking probably up there because it's up on the hill. So I think you can find uh, neighborhood parking up there that won't cost you forty five dollars probably. Oh, okay. Yeah. I actually think there's probably free parking up there if you know where to look. But otherwise, I don't know. Park in a garage, whatever. But yeah. To me, that seems like. I don't, I just don't see a lot of downside because, you know, unless it goes perfectly, you can always just cancel and then whatever, you've got a 170 and then a subsequent cancel. I can't imagine that they're going to be like, oh no, you know, <laughs> look at this dude. He canceled the <laughs> yeah. store after, uh, you know, if yeah. they ever asked you to explain it, you'd be like, oh yeah, I had previously registered because I wasn't sure what the score would be in December and then. I had had a practice test where I had scored super high, 175. I don't know if you guys are interested in that at all, but uh, yeah, anyway, then I took the test and it, it didn't feel like it was going better, so I just thought the sensible move would be to cancel it. I don't know. All mm-hmm. you do there is sound like a very savvy applicant anyway, you know? That doesn't... Yeah. I can't, yeah. I'm trying to imagine in what universe someone would be like, oh yeah, okay, we definitely don't want to admit you because of that. <laughs> <laughs> what, is this, what is this cancel score? Yeah, you know. Oh boy, wow. You know, that, yeah, we're gonna disregard that 170 that he has on record because of this cancel that happened. All right. Well, anyway, Ken, thank you very much for coming on the show. Is there anything uh, you want to pitch or anything you're working on you want to talk about? Um, no. I think uh, I think I better get back to my uh, applications. <laughs> How how hard is it to to apply to multiple schools? I think the key is just getting down the uh, the big documents, the personal statement, diversity. If you're writing one, and um, your your resume, and yeah, just that the wordy part part of the application. I think rest is just um, you know uh, personal information and uh, these small small details. Cool. So that's pretty much the same for every school, you know. Yeah, and you're trying to get those out. As soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, deadlines. I mean, it's literally two days. Yeah. Okay. So before the February 
before before the February LSAT is even administered. You know, right. another reason to take it is to give yourself like I you're going to apply now, right? You're going to apply with the 170 mm-hmm. you already have, but in what end of February, beginning of March, those February scores come out, and then you get you do get then an additional data point about your potential worth as an applicant. Not to mention, mm-hmm. you could tell you could actually point to you could say to the schools, "Hey, uh, you might want to look at this 175 that I just got on the yeah. February LSAT." But if not, you know, even if they've already given you a decision or they've already made a scholarship offer or whatever, you could you could then also just sort of th- have that in your pocket as like, well, if I apply next year with this 175 that I have, you know, things are probably going to be different. Yeah, yeah, that was my initial uh, plan for the February test. Just, uh, you know, in case things don't, in case the offers aren't great this year, yeah. use, it, use the uh, February score for next year. Awesome. Ken, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, I hope we'll be able to give an update sometime soon. Well, we'll definitely, the listeners are going to want to know whether you sat for that test or not. So I'll, I'll at least, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll at least find out from you and report back to the listeners. But if you do decide to take it again, maybe we'll have you back on for another quick interview. Cause that, that does sound very interesting. Okay. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Uh, thanks for the uh, opportunity to share. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's great to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks for coming on.